Well, for those of you that weren't with us last night, and many of you were not able to be here last night, but you certainly were here this morning, you heard me refer to these verses in Galatians chapter 6. And uh, we're going to go on a minimal review from last night to help everyone that was here last night get refreshed and to, to look over into it and kind of get their pump primed, glory to God, but also very quickly to help us all get on the same page to get a corporate faith. I said a corporate faith in operation. You know, it's one thing to have an individual anointing. It's something else to have a ministry anointing where God sends a person to walk in an anointing, to operate in the gifts of God. But the great anointing is the corporate anointing. And the corporate anointing operates when we get our faith moving. Tonight, in the name of Jesus, while the word's being preached, your faith is going to start to move to reap your harvest. I want to announce to you, it is your due season. It is time for you to receive. It's harvest time in Jesus' name. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. I've just been instructed by the Spirit of God. We are going there second, but I want to show you one thing. I want to announce something to you here uh, that will help you, that I believe will help push us off of high center into the acceptance of looking beyond what our eyes see and walking by faith and not by sight. Glory to God. Go with me to the book of Judges, if you would. Judges chapter 6. Glory to God. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they came under the authority of the hand of Midian for seven years. Now, this wasn't the will of God. Notice it didn't say that God even did this. It simply says that the enemy was having his way in their life, and we're going to find out in a minute, they were stealing, the enemy was stealing their harvest. Because they weren't walking in the way that God instructed them to walk based on the covenant. God wasn't upset with them. God was not mad at them. But they were out from under the canopy of his covering protection. The enemy had access to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we're going to find out in a minute that the whole nation was living in caves and dens and strongholds. Now notice what it says here. It says, the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel in verse 2. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains, and caves, and what else? What were they in? Say it again. I'm telling you, there's going to be some strongholds broken tonight. Glory be to God. Now, we'll come back and read the in-between parts, but drop down to verse 7. It says, uh, excuse me, um, verse 6, and Israel was, what are the next two words? They were what? That means this is deep poverty. This is supernatural poverty. This is poverty that's induced by the enemy. It's a curse. They need this rod of authority, the enemy's ability to steal their harvest broken off of their lives. Can you see this? So they're in strongholds. And in this case, it was a stronghold of poverty. A stronghold of lack. Or you might say it was a stronghold of never being able to have manifested or receive what was rightfully theirs. 
We see it was rightfully theirs as we back up to verse 3 once again, and let's read it. And it was, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up. So what had Israel done? So they began the process of sowing and reaping. Do you see this? Israel had sown <clears throat> that the Midianites, the enemy, came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth until you come to Gaza. Left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor donkey, or not oxen nor donkey. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Wow. Now, God has a word for them, and Gideon gets raised up as a judge, and it says in the middle of this, God sent a prophet to them. And the word of the prophet came, and ultimately an angel manifested in their midst. Gideon is found as a man who has a wrong image. He basically says, I am the youngest member of the poorest family, of the smallest tribe, of the most despised nation on the earth that's in a stronghold of poverty. And if, and if the Lord's with us, where are all these miracles? Right? Well, he's asking the wrong question, you see. And uh, the angel answered the question he should have asked. Because he's saying, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And he's at midnight, afraid of the enemy, threshing wheat behind the wine press. So he's operating in fear with his own image of himself, and the angel appears and announces how God sees him. Especially based on the covenant. And so he says, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And you can see him trembling. Who, me? You're not, you know, and he's, you're not talking to me. And then he says, it's something even much more strange than that. Go in this your might and save your country. Here's a guy that says, I am the youngest member of the poorest family. Now, we could read down. We're not going to take time to read it. I am the youngest member of the poorest family of a half tribe. I'm actually not even a full, I don't even have a full inheritance. I'm a half-tribe, and you can study that and see that Ephraim and Manasseh were, were split as twins into a half-tribe apiece. Of a half-tribe, the smallest tribe, of the most despised and poor nation on the planet. And you're saying to me, for me, to go in my might. See, he's asking the wrong question. Where are the miracles our fathers told us about it? See, most people are not aware that the problem is not that they don't have what they need. The problem is they are not using what they have. Right. Yeah. So you need to understand that a great revelation of the covenant you have and who you are and the law that governs sowing and reaping that God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And you will reap. You shall reap. You're guaranteed to harvest in due season, if you faint not. So we're going to deal with overcoming enemies to our harvest, and here we see there was an enemy that swooped down on the land and destroyed the increase of Israel's harvest. So this harvest belonged to Israel. They had done all the work, and the enemy was just waiting to swoop down and eat Israel's increase. 
Now, I want to make an announcement to you. All this flurry, all this resistance, all this turmoil, all this activity, all this torment, everything that's spinning around you is most likely, and almost in every case, not because you're doing something wrong. It is because you're doing something right. There's a major reason why all this activity is going on around you. It's because it's harvest time. Enemy knows if you get your harvest, you're going to break out and break through and break over into what God has for you and his containment is over. So we must rise up then and realize there's an answer to this. Glory be to God. And in this situation, uh, John talked about peace this morning. This is the very situation where God reveals himself to Israel as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord God, our peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. You wouldn't think of it in terms of peace. Most people think of it's a peaceful, easy feeling. But peace is an actual spirit, a spiritual force. It is a covenant of peace. It is the force of aggression. Peace is not given Peace is made. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the result of an enemy conquered. You make peace. Jesus broke down the wall of partition between us and made peace. When he cast the devil out of somebody, he said to the devil, Peace, hold your peace. Peace, be still. When the storm raged against them, he said, Peace, be still. So peace stops waves, stills storms, silences howling winds drives demons out of their place, breaks walls of partition down. You need to realize peace is the force within you that as long as you maintain it, you've got the high ground. In all spiritual warfare, if you can maintain peace, which is an it-is-finished rest, this harvest belongs to me, and no demon in hell has any authority to take it from me. When you won't be distracted, when you won't move, when you won't get weary in well-doing, Satan has nothing else to throw at you to swoop in and take your harvest. What he has got to do is get you discouraged. What he's got to, to get you to do is to decide, I've done something wrong, maybe it wasn't God's will, the harvest isn't coming, uh, you know, God has an appointed time, it's not right now, and so consequently, you get distracted, you start doing other things. See, what we have to do, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Um, glory to God. So what we have to do is understand the laws. I didn't know this is where we were going, but I want to talk a little bit about the laws, the spiritual laws that govern our harvest. The spiritual laws that govern our harvest. To do that, I'm going to have to shift gears a little bit and show you something by the Spirit of God. If you would, turn to the book of, turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Hope you're ready to go on a journey with me. Are you ready? Yes. I wasn't expecting him to shift gears like this, but obviously... You are expectant. Obviously, your hearts are open. And the draw is drawing on heaven to answer the questions that you need answered. Glory be to God. I'm telling you, as I told the people last night that were here and that are back again, and you that are here now, the Spirit of God said to me about two years ago, <clears throat> He said, the greatest thing you can do for my people 
for your partners. We write a monthly teaching letter, and the whole focus of that letter, it's not a newsletter, it's not an update, it's not a, an appeal for money, it, it's not about the state of the ministry. It doesn't mean you won't hear about meetings and miracles and things that have happened, because if you're a partner, you should know what your seed is accomplishing, certainly. But the, the object of this is that is all just very, you know, just in case you need to know about a meeting coming up or something. No, the whole letter. Does anybody get that letter in here? You guys get it, I think. Y'all get, yeah. yeah. The point is, am I telling the truth? It's a teaching letter. Yeah. It's written not to get something from you, but to get something to you. And the anointing on it, the purpose of the anointing on it is to teach God's people how to harvest. He said to me, the greatest thing you can do for the body of Christ is teach them how to harvest. They've had much teaching on sowing. They know they're supposed to sow, and many of them are sowing. Most of you are sowing. Most of you are tithers. Most of you are givers, right? But it's the law of sowing and reaping. And he made me to know that the body of Christ, because they've heard so much about sowing, is highly developed in their faith for sowing, but they have very little faith for reaping. They know very little about reaping, the laws that govern reaping, how to harvest, and consequently, they're actually deceived. They think they're doing right and don't even know they're not in line with the Scripture. For example, one of the things that he pointed out to me was, I've heard people say over the years, if I've heard it once, I've heard it many, many times, I've heard them say that God, and especially over offerings, like the law of sowing and reaping, if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully and so forth. And, and they ta- always talk about the financial arena. And last night we proved very clearly from the Word of God that the whole kingdom, the entirety of all resource and every manifestation of everything in the kingdom moves on the back of the law of seed time and harvest. Now that's why money can be used that way because when you sow money, it is planting, but money is just the husk of the seed. It carries the supernatural power to break the back of poverty, and it will come back to you from heaven in a supernatural anointing that will bring provision, not only of what money can buy, but things money could never buy. So a seed can become anything. The Bible says, in fact, if I were to give you this idea, in the book of Galatians, And I could give you that scripture, but it says, till the seed should come. It's talking about Jesus at that point. But he makes a statement in the book of Galatians, and he says that we were kept and shut up under faith and so forth, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Is anybody familiar with that phrase? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Here's what you need to know. You need to know God Almighty the unchanging creator of the universe has made a promise to every seed. Yeah, that's right. There's a a promise attached to every seed. And so when you look at what the Word says in 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, let's look at this, and I'll give you just kind of some little sample idea of the things that we need to discover. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Holy Spirit, thank you for your help tonight. The Apostle Paul uses the law of seed time and harvest to describe how we're resurrected from the dead. 
Now, this is an important connection because evidently the law of seed time and harvest activates the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Because if you know anything about a seed, it falls into the ground and dies, and the life that's in it comes forth from the unseen to the seen. So resurrection power is inside operating this law. The birds don't operate this law. Tigers don't sow and reap. Whales don't sow and reap. He said the fowls of the air, they don't sow. Neither do they reap. Neither do they gather into barns. And your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you better than them? We are the only species of being that has been given the unspeakable, unsearchable privilege of being able to steward and handle the awesome law that will move every resource in the kingdom and link heaven and earth together. It is the law of seed time and harvest. It is the ability to sow and reap that makes us like God. See, just getting our needs met doesn't make us greater than an animal. God meets the needs of every bird, but they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and they don't increase. They just have their needs met. The law of sowing and reaping is to release the fact that he has a covenant with you and that it is he that has given you and me the power to get wealth that he might establish that covenant. Why? So that we could dominate the planet as we were created to dominate it. He has given us, see, we might be without what we need at the moment, but we're never without the seed that will produce it. And so it's very important to understand that when he gave us seed, he gave us the ability to determine our own destiny. He gave us his number one implement of dominion. Would you say that when God planted Jesus as a seed, he dominated the enemy, rose again and received glory as the Lord of glory and sat down? Would you say, would you say then that the law of sowing and reaping, when he planted Jesus, the Bible says we were planted together with him in the likeness of death, that we might be risen together with him in newness of life. And we not only were risen with him, but we seated with him, and all the enemies are under our feet. We ascended with him. This operated, this spiritual law, this resurrection power, this eternal life came alive in us based on the law that drives the whole kingdom, the law of seed, time, and harvest. It's the law that he gave to Adam in the beginning to be like God and to walk in dominion. Made him different than the animals. Mm -hmm. Made him different than the fish. Made him different than the birds. Now, one of the most important things you could learn is that the law of seed time and harvest governs the way every other spiritual law is set in motion. Jesus said, and I know I've got you in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to hold you there until I make a couple of comments about this. Does anybody know what Jesus said to his disciples when they couldn't cast the demon out in Matthew 17, 20? Oh, you have little faith. If you had faith as what? As a grain of mustard seed, you would say. If you had faith as a seed, you would so you need to understand, faith works like a seed. Yeah. 
So you're never going to operate faith in fullness until you get a revelation of the law of seed time and harvest. Because the whole purpose of using your faith is to harvest the result. To receive. Receiving is harvesting. You believe you receive. So you sow the seed of faith to receive your harvest. So the law of seed time and harvest governs. It rides over the top. It governs the use of faith. Now we're going to see in a moment that faith is a spiritual law. So the law of seed time and harvest governs the way a law of faith operates. So every kingdom law operates within the canopy of the law of seed time and harvest. So until we understand the law of seed time and harvest, we're not going to understand the kingdom. And that is exactly what Jesus taught in the parable of the sower. Jesus taught, do you not understand this parable? How are you going to understand anything else I'm teaching? And what parable was it? The parable of the sower. The law of sowing and reaping. That not every seed comes to a harvest. That there are reasons why not every seed comes to a harvest. And that if you sow on purpose, in the right place, and stay the course, you're guaranteed a harvest every time. That it will bring heaven and earth together. Do you see this? Oh, this is critically important. Now, if we can understand then that faith works like a seed, and we're going to see in just a moment that faith is a spiritual law, then we can see that all spiritual laws operate in tandem with or in concurrency with the law of seed time and harvest. And so as we, as we find out how, how, how seed time and harvest operates, let me just look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to tie a couple of thoughts together for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 It says this in verse 35. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? So are we talking about the resurrection from the dead? Are we talking about raising the dead? Sure we are. He just said that's what they're asking. People are asking, how does resurrection power come on a body, and what kind of effect does resurrection power have on a human body? Isn't that what they're asking? So let's read it again. Verse 35. Focus with me now because, you know, we're going to reap in due season if we faint not. So this teaching isn't for the faint of heart. You came to learn. Because my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Revelation knowledge is flowing. He said to me, the greatest thing you could do for my people is to teach them how to harvest. How are you ever going to go into your destiny if you don't know how to harvest what God promised you? How's this ministry ever going to become anything God prophesied it would unless the people attached to it that are a part of it learn how to harvest and begin to rise up and do what they're called to do. You see, harvest is the critical component of finishing our race. Most people do not know that there are many synonymous terms in the Scripture with the word harvest. Are you listening to me? If I were to go to John chapter 4, you would find three or four right there in Jesus' teaching. What did he say in John 4? He said, he that reapeth receiveth wages. 
right? What did he say prior to that? Lift up your eyes to the fields. They're white already to the So somebody say harvest. harvest. So in John chapter 4, he says the fields are white to the So let's say harvest. So say harvest. harvest. He that reapeth. See that? So reaping is harvesting. Harvesting is reaping. He that reapeth receiveth. Receiving is reaping and harvesting. Harvesting is reaping and receiving. So when you believe to receive, what are you doing? You're harvesting. See, receiving and harvesting are synonymous. Amen? And it says, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth. Gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Gathering is harvesting. Do you see this? All right. Well, if you were to look at a good example, it's Matthew 13. Now, we're going to stay in 1 Corinthians 15 here, so I know I'm throwing a lot at you back there. But God's stringing some pearls together. If we were to look at Matthew 13, here's what the Lord says about the parable of the wheat and the tares. Amen. He said that a certain man sowed good seed into his field. He said, while men slept, an enemy came. Say, an enemy came. And he sowed tares into that field. So when when things started springing up, his servants came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed into your field? Yes, I did. How come it has these tares? His next phrase is, an enemy has done this. Now, follow, my th- follow the thought process here. They said, do you want us to go and pull up the tares? He said, no, unless you pull up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Somebody say harvest. harvest. So clearly, why did the enemy sow tares? To get the people distracted, dealing with the tares, thereby messing up the harvest. The whole ultimate plan of the enemy getting involved in the process is to keep the harvest from manifesting. Now, one of the things that we get shown from Matthew 13 in the parable of the wheat and the tares is they said, do you want us to go pull the tares up? He said, no, don't touch them. Here's why. Unless while you do it, you uproot your harvest, right? right? And so here's the point. The tares... What the enemy sows into the system can't keep the wheat from growing. And it can't keep the harvest from coming. So one of the number one things we see why Satan does what he does is to get your eyes off the harvest onto dealing with the tares and dealing with that trying to get your harvest to manifest. Your harvest is guaranteed as long as you don't run around in distraction following the enemy. If you start sowing to the flesh, you'll let the flesh reap corruption. And when the harvest gets ripe, it'll just die in the field because you've been chasing the devil instead of the harvest. You need to know that Satan has no authority to keep your harvest from coming to pass if you won't get distracted in the process at what he's trying to sow in your way on the way there. You've got to stay focused on the law that guarantees blood between you and God concerning your harvest. Now, here's the point behind that. The point behind that is simply this. As they asked Jesus about this parable, and Matthew 13, he gives them the explanation, 
He says, the harvest, and I believe it's Matthew 13, verse 30 and 31, somewhere in there. But he says, the harvest is the end of the world. Somebody said, the harvest, the harvest is, the end. is the end. All right, so we found many things that are synonymous with the word harvest. Here we see the Bible giving us another revelation. The end of something is the harvest time. So how something turns out, how it ends up, is the harvest. No one has ever been crowned a champion or given a medal in a race they didn't finish. So the finish of something, when it's finished, that's harvest time. That's the end of the process. That's the end of the cycle of the law. This is the end of the thing. So you need to understand if this ministry, this church, any human, is going to get to the end, to the completion of what they're called to do, they're going to have to harvest. Because the getting to the end of it is the harvesting of the vision. So we've got to harvest as a ministry, both individually and corporately. We've got to learn these laws. Uh, we're going to live and die with a vision unfulfilled, and it won't be God's fault. It'll be because the people that he anointed, appointed, and equipped to do that vision didn't appropriate it and didn't steward it. They didn't operate the laws that governed it, and they dwelt in a stronghold of poverty when they actually had a covenant with the unsearchable riches of Christ. So the problem is not that we don't have what we need. The problem is we're not using what we have, mainly because we're blinded. Actually, the Bible word in Galatians 6 is deceived. The spirit of deception at work to get us to operate things thinking we're going to get a harvest and living and dying and never actually realizing what God told us to do. I'm telling you, God is about to put us on the fast track to manifestation. Because when we get a revelation of it, and we walk by faith in it, and we know it's guaranteed, and we will not waver, and we will not pull back, and we will not stop short, and we will not relent, because it's ours. It's our due season. It's due us. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. It's right that we have it, and it's going into nobody's hands but ours. Amen. Then you might as well take Satan's saddle and ship it on home, because his rodeo's over. It's done. Amen. Because you're the victor. For you ever step into the ring, it is finished. It is settled. His only hope, he's defeated. He doesn't have the keys or the authority. You've been translated out from under his authority. Given the name of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, access to the wisdom of God with a blood covenant and a covering and a protection from a God who cannot lie and will not change and is the same yesterday, today, and forever and is for you. And if God be for you, who could be against you? You need to understand God is not the one causing the delay with your harvest. He says very clearly in the scripture, an enemy has done this. Right. So instead of getting frustrated, instead of getting discouraged, instead of getting upset at someone else, instead of saying, well, if they would have come through, if they'd have brought me that check, if somebody would just obey God, I'd have it. How about you obey God? Yeah. How about you quit wavering and getting discouraged and down in the mouth and planting the wrong seeds? Yes. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about it. When Jesus said, and we've already quoted it, but let's go back to this verse, Matthew 17, 20. When Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would 
saved. Then faith works like a seed, and the way you plant it is to say something. Which means words are seeds. Words are seeds. And what you say is your faith speaking. So your finances aren't the only thing that's a seed. The whole kingdom operates along the law of seed time and harvest, which is why the scripture says on several places, for example, let's talk about tithing for a moment. How many of you believe that tithing is a covenant connection with the protection of Almighty God? It rebukes the devourer for your sake. It'll cause your crop not to cast its fruit in the field before the time. Oh, my. It's, a, it's the umbilical cord to the riches of Christ, and it's the starting place, right, Amen. to, uh, to uh, that connection yeah. Yeah. with an open heaven. Yeah. You believe that? Yes. Well, do you know how many people are tithing but sowing mingled seed? What do you mean mingled seed? See, mingled seed, God hates mingled seed. God hates mixture. What do you mean they're sowing mingled seed? Well, if you go back to the scripture, scriptural basis of how to tithe, if you read Deuteronomy 26, he says you bring your tithe. And some of you have been taught this, evidently, because every time I see you sowing, you're standing up here before God. You're talking to God over your money before you ever put it in. Where did that come from? It came from the fact that the seed you're sowing isn't just that money. It came from the fact that you're not sowing mingled seed. And God clearly said in Deuteronomy 26, when you bring your tithe into the place where I should choose to place my name, sowing into the anointing, he said, set the basket down in front of the priest and say. And he tells you exactly what to say. When you read Malachi 3, he doesn't just say, bring the tenth into my house and there'll be room and you'll meet in my house and you'll be under an open heaven. Further down it says, your words have been stout against me. Right? So evidently, we can tithe, never have the harvest of the benefit off that 10% of income because of what we're saying. Why? Because of the law of seed time and harvest. You cannot tithe and be under an open heaven when by the time lunch is over, you've had fried preacher for lunch. Can't do it. Words are seeds. It'll totally destroy your crop. And a lot of people wonder, why isn't my sowing and reaping not working? Because the law that governs all law, including sowing and reaping, is the royal law of love. So Jesus said, you bring your gift to the altar. Remember, you have all against your brother. Leave it. Leave it because I can't accept it and breathe upon it, the covenant blessing, till you go make it right with your brother and then come back and sow your gift. Why? Because the law of sowing and reaping operates under the canopy of the royal law of love. Love is the purpose for using this law. I want you to understand why this law works. God so loved the world that he gave. Why did Jesus die? Why did God plant him? God so loved the world that he gave. Understand the royal law of love is the law 
that breathes resurrection life into all giving. Every time we activate this law of sowing and reaping, we should do it, not for selfish purposes. God is going to see to it. If you know anything about God, when you say, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. See, inside the will of God is for you to have power to get wealth and have so far beyond what you could ask or imagine for your own daily bread that is far and away above what you need. You need to realize that the key to prosperity is not seeking prosperity. The key to prosperity is seeking the love plan and the will of God. You go after, you go hard after what God wills you to do in the kingdom, yeah. and prosperity will start chasing you. Oh, yeah. Amen. So, the law, so all of these spiritual laws, now I'm talking about the laws that govern harvest, rules for reaping. All of these spiritual laws then are intertwined. They make a dynamic kingdom fabric. Faith works by love. Love never fails. So faith that operates by love can't fail. You see the hook? Faith works like a seed. So seeds are sown, number one, you give because you love God. But if you look at 2 Corinthians 9, and we're not going to turn there, but I'm just trying to lay the track for why we would do this, because if we can get our motive right, I guarantee you Satan will have no place in stopping your harvest because you won't get distracted because you know that the problem is not God. He's not holding out on you. When you get a revelation of who God is, you know God is for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? He doesn't have a problem with wanting you to have. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's not the problem with the harvest. We do have an enemy that still kills and destroys. But he's defeated. So Satan can't stop you. God wants you to have it, so who's the determining factor on the outcome of the harvest? See, people perish for a lack of knowledge. And so faith to harvest, and it requires faith to harvest. You say, why does it require faith to harvest? Well, because we found from the Scripture that harvest has some synonymous terms. The fields are white already to the harvest. He that reapeth receiveth. Therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them. He would not do any disservice to the text if he had said, therefore, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you harvest them. Receiving and harvesting are synonymous. When we receive, we harvest. When we harvest, we've received. And we receive everything in the kingdom by faith. It takes faith to harvest. And we're not going to have any faith for the harvest if we don't ever hear about it. So if we have deceptions that are going on in our minds, one of the deceptions that I hear so much and I heard over the years is one of the reasons why God said to me, I want you to teach the body. One of the deceptions I hear and it's what took me down this road of laying a foundation about what is seed and how does this law operate and, and how does the kingdom operate. One of the reasons I'm teaching along these lines is because we hear these scriptures, like 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where it says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, 
you will reap also bountifully. Most people never take the time to study the word. If you will go look up that word bountiful, you'll find it doesn't mean abundance. We're always talking about the same measure you meet it to be measured unto you. That is a law. And certainly, in reciprocation, as you measure it out, it comes back in that measure. That is a law. But here, he's not talking about amounts. Later in 2 Corinthians 9, well, let's just look at it. I, I can see you, you're with me, and you've been with me, but sometimes when I go from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture to Scripture to Scripture to Scripture, it's kind of like, wait a minute, hang on, I lost my notepad, let's catch up. <laughs> and it's more important that you get it than that I just keep on moving. I want you to see this. Very, very important information. Go with me. I know we're in 1 Corinthians 15. I, I hadn't forgotten that. We're going to wind up in Galatians 6 in a minute. <laughs> All right? So just hang with me. This church will never be the same. Amen. Your lives are about to change. In dramatic fashion, you're headed with a supernatural warp speed toward the harvest you've been slowly making your way toward and wondering why it hadn't happened. Answers are coming. Adjustments are coming. And the power of the Lord is present to heal. And I'm not just talking about bodies. He, the spirit of deception is going to be broken. And the number one thing that breaks the back of the spirit of deception is revelation. Most people are weary and tired and think they need a vacation and what they really need is a revelation. Because I'm just going to tell you, you get a hold of this stuff and it'll just blow fainting out of the window. You will not be weary anymore. You'll be on there just say, my God, my God, why hadn't I seen this before? Why didn't I know this 10 years ago? Because when you get revelation of it, you start racing toward it. You say, that's it. That's what I've been doing wrong. That's the deal right there. That's why I missed it. And that was exactly, I know you're in 2 Corinthians 9. How many of you found it? We're going to read very familiar verses in just a moment. We're going to talk about this connection, connect some dots here. But, uh, you know, one of the things the Lord said to me, he's brought it up to me three or four times, so I want to go ahead and get it out there and get it said. When he started me teaching along this line for the body of Christ, he said, many people say that if you give, if you sow, you will be given. God will give you a hundredfold. And the scripture does not say God will give you a hundredfold. That's a deception. But the idea that God's going to give you a hundredfold means I give and then I sit back and do nothing and wait until a check comes in the mail. See, the scripture says you will receive a hundredfold. That's different than God giving you a hundredfold. Receiving requires you reaping. Now, I can prove to you from the scripture that we sow, God grows, but we reap. We are as responsible to reap as we are to sow. God's the one that gets involved and supernaturally causes it to grow. That's a creative anointing that came all the way back in the garden. It said God caused all the trees in the garden to grow for Adam. Adam didn't have anything to do with that. 
God gave him the law of seed time and harvest. He said, you plant it, and it will supernaturally increase. You can't make it grow, but you will harvest the fruit of it. Do you see this? So Adam's supposed to handle the seed and the fruit. God handles the growth part. But until we learn how to reap, we're only doing one end of the equation, sitting back waiting on God to do something that he's put in our, in our uh, dominion to do. We are not only just the sowers, we're the reapers. In fact, that scripture in John 4 where it says, Say ye not, say not ye, there are four months and then cometh the harvest. Lift up your eyes to the fields, for they're white already to the harvest. So you can see two things right there that affect our harvest greatly. Number one is how we see the harvest. Tonight while I'm teaching, you're starting to see your harvest differently. And as we get a revelation of what due season is, you're going to really get a revelation of your harvest differently. Because somehow we've been argued out of this idea that this is some special moment in time that God sets, and you might as well not even try until it comes that time. Now, we wouldn't say it that way, but that's the way we're living. We know that's what we believe because the way we act. Right. We're waiting on God right. to set the time of this thing to come. And due season is not on God's end. Yeah, yeah I'll say that. The Lord said, prove it to him by saying this. I just heard the Lord say this. Look, this is the Holy Ghost. This is Jesus, the head of the church, through the Holy Ghost talking to you right now. And he said, tell, tell them this, and they'll get it. If due season for your harvest was set by God, then your weariness would have nothing to do with it. So if weariness affects receiving, if that due season's fixed and set by God and you're going to get it in the due time and you have nothing to do with it, then why does your weariness matter? Whether or not you grow weary in well-doing or not has everything to do with whether you harvest or not or when you harvest. So evidently, due season is not set by God. Due season is set by the laws, by us operating the law of seed time and harvest. The moment we plant the seed, we've changed the season of harvest. If I wait, this is one. Okay, let me say it this way. Down south, and I'm sure it's the same here, uh, it's been an unusual season of just not necessarily torrential, but certainly unseasonably rain beyond over the top. Now, I don't know what kind of rains you guys have had, but we have people at home. We, there's so much rain, we can't, we can't get the equipment in the field to plant. And the rain has kept it off and kept us back and kept us back and kept us back. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If you can't get the seed in the ground in time, does that affect the harvest? Yes. All right. Well, if, it, if, if the time you plant affects the time you harvest, don't you think it's the same in the spirit? Don't you think your due season is affected by you having to work up the energy over six months to finally decide that you can not trust in that IRA and give that $10,000 God told you? That well, six months affected you. When he started talking to you about it back here, you, you had a divine advantage on that. 
And one of the reasons he had to talk to you about it for six months is because you didn't know how much you trusted it until he asked you to give it. Sure is quiet in this church. And then we're sitting around pointing a finger at God like he's holding out on our harvest. When the truth is, we're trusting in uncertain riches. We're hesitant and not quick to obey. We won't get our seed in the ground. And then we're wondering why, where's my due season? One guy said, I'm waiting until my ship comes in. And I said, I hope you sent one out. I mean, isn't that right? Glory to God. I mean, really. So we need to understand that why would we be so foolish in spiritual things, like they're so mystical and abstract when they're governed by law and so understanding in natural things that we would we'd say, you know, this guy, he needs some counseling or some medication or something because he's standing out in the middle of his field crying, begging God, I guess it was not God's will for me to have any canola this year. Just weeping. I guess I'm just never going to have any canola. God, God must never will, or at least this year, must not will for me to have canola. Well, did you plant some canola? No. I figured if God willed it, that'd just grow in my pasture. You wouldn't take enough, you wouldn't even consider talking to that guy. You think, okay, I'm not going to get any tips from him. He's just ignorance gone to seed. That's mature ignorance. But yet you go to eat after church at lunch with people and say stuff that stupid because you're trying to harvest in a field in which you've planted no seed. We're deceived. We think we're going to reap in fields we hadn't sown. Can't do that. That's why the Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. It's going to turn out, no matter what you think or how hard you try to outrun it, it's going to turn out exactly like God said. So you can try to do it your own way, but there's a way that seems right to a man at the end thereof are the ways of death. There's only one way to get the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus cycling your direction for supernatural breakthrough, and that is do it God's way. Operate the laws of the Spirit. Well, I don't know the laws of the Spirit. Well, you know what? His mercy will make up the difference if you have a heart to love God and get in this book and go after it and say, Holy Ghost, i got to know. But if you're just going to be obtuse, going your own way, making your own decisions, acting idiotic, following the world, sowing to the flesh, and then come in here begging God, huh, to make up the difference and give you some grand miracle because you were, you were you know, oblivious and ignored what he told you to do. And that's what most of us are doing. Now, there's mercy for babies. We do stuff for babies. Right? I mean, when they're six months old, they don't even have teeth. And when they're two years old, we help them brush their teeth. But by the time they get 20, we're not calling them up on the phone at night saying, remember to brush your teeth. (laughs) See, there's some point in maturity where this thing shifts and you know inside yourself by your own conscience and maturity, this is what I should do. And as you mature in God, God does a whole lot for babies. That once you grow in the things of the Spirit, He wants you. He wants to be your covenant partner. This is actually not God being tough on you. This is God honoring you, saying to you, Hey, I've given you dominion. You are my covenant partner. You have faith to do the impossible. 
You're not a second-class citizen. This covenant will work for you. There's blood between me and you over this. And make no mistake about it, a man's harvest in life depends entirely upon what he sows. And I've given you the law of seed time and harvest, and I'm the administrator of seed, and I've given you seed to plant. Now, I've got a great destiny for you. Go plant and reap your destiny. So we're not going to wallow around up here crying tears about what we hadn't received when we're not supposed to be waiting on God to give us something that's not, that he's already finished. It's already done on his end. By his stripes ye were healed. Healing is there. It's in the field. Let's go appropriate it. Let's go harvest it. Let's harvest our healing. Let's harvest our miracle. Let's harvest our breakthrough. Glory be to God. Now, in 2 Corinthians, I'll just give you this example how all these laws work together. In 2 Corinthians, it says in verse 6, But this I say, have you found it? Everybody good? Take a deep breath now. If I see smoke coming out of your ears, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop. But, you know, we will get somebody to come around and kind of help you put out the fire in your brain. <laughs> we got some wheels turning, and I can surely see it. <laughs> Glory be to God. But we're on a search and destroy mission. I'm telling you, heaven is intent with supernatural, ballistic, super nuclear warheads to come down on the inside of you, and he's about to obliterate every spirit of deception. He's about to blow away everything that's kept you from your harvest. He's about to empower you with the very strength that raised Jesus from the dead, and you are no longer going to get discouraged about why you hadn't seen it yet, as if you're doing something wrong. God is for you, and you're about to turn all of that stubbornness into a sanctified stubbornness and point it at the right direction. Instead of being stubborn, saying it's the church's fault I'm worn out, or God hadn't come through, you're going to turn it where it belongs to your enemy who's the real one trying to steal your harvest. And it's about time you get belligerent with him. When he starts lying to you and accusing you and tempting you, it's about time you start treating him with no respect, like the old cur dog that he is. You foul snake, you serpent, you devil, you accuser, you tempter, you are deceiver. Why should I believe? I know you're lying because your mouth is moving. Now get out of here. In the name of Jesus, leave me alone. Those aren't my thoughts. Those aren't God's thoughts. Those aren't covenant thoughts. And of course I'm not going to get it, you liar. I've already got it. Glory to God. Amen. How can you go to get something you already got? Woo! And then you start dancing around and say, glory to God, thank you, Lord, I received it. Amen. See, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's why he's trying to get you to look at everything going on. It steals your joy. And when it steals that supernatural joy, you've got no strength to harvest, no strength to finish the race. No one can have a victory in a race they don't finish. And we've just proven to you that the harvest is the end of the world. And so until you can finish it, you can't win it. Not one person has ever won a race they didn't finish. The finish line's the harvest. You got to keep running. You got to keep running. You got to keep running in your lane. You can't throw up your hands and say, I'm tired. I'm too far behind. It'll never work. No, you got to stay at it. If you will be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, you will harvest. You will harvest. You shall. 
shall. You shall harvest. You shall reap. The word shall in the English language is the strongest binding contractual word that exists. It's the word that is used in every covenant of agreement by legal presenters in the United States when it's a binding agreement that can be litigated and people thrown in jail if they break it. The party, the first part, shall. The party, the second part, shall. It means they're under authority and legal obligation with everything they are when they put their name down there to do what that thing says they're going to do. Yeah. Well, let me just tell you, God says you shall yeah. reap. If you won't stop, you shall have a guaranteed harvest. Yeah. Creator of the universe has spilt blood to guarantee that it's impossible for you not to reap. There's blood between you and God over this harvest. He wants you to win. He's for you. Glory be to God. Now look at this right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. If you've got your Bible and you're a person that underlines, underline the word bountifully there. Now that is very important because as we read on down, it says every man as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace, having all sufficient in all things, that you may abound. See that word abound? Abound. Okay. So you would naturally, in the English language, assume that this word bountiful, bountifully, means bounty or abounding, would be the same word as down here where it says abound. But they're not the same words. Back up here in verse 6, the word bountiful is the same word where we get the word for blessing. It basically comes from the word eulogia, E-U in the Greek meaning good, and logos, which means word, or logia, to speak, to say something good, like you'd give a eulogy at a funeral. You would say good words. So he's basically saying, when you give so that the blessing can get to someone, God will see to it that the blessing gets to you. Now here... It's where the law of love gets in your giving. When you're withholding the blessing, you love your money more than you love the people. You love your money more than you love your God. Do you see what I'm saying here? So we're giving on two levels. One, for eulogia, for good words to be spoken. We're sowing into revelation knowledge so that the gospel that was brought to us can get to someone else who's going to perish if they don't get it. Oh, glory to God. That's what what bountiful, bountiful giving is, a person that gives with a bountiful eye, that has the eye and the heart to get what God has given them freely to someone else freely, knowing that they didn't deserve it, and he's richly blessed us with all things. Therefore, I so love God that I love the world because God so loves the world. I love what God loves, and that's why I give. Now, can you see then that the anointing that's on, the dominion that's on the royal law of love activates all sowing? Now, I want to make two points here. God so loved the world that he gave. 
It's the royal purpose behind all giving. Love is. And love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, cannot fail. Nothing can separate you from it. Not height, nor depth, huh? life, nor death, angels, nor demons, or any other creature, not the past, not the future, not anything present. Now, the sum total of all creation operating together can separate you from the harvest off of the law of sowing and reaping when the seed is planted by faith in the soil of the love of God. Amen. You get this royal law involved in the law of faith and the law of seed time and harvest, and you've got a kingly dominion on a seed that goes into the ground. God never forgets a seed sown, and it's impossible for Satan to keep it from coming Amen. back to you. So love then becomes the reason behind we give. It's, it's why we give. It's what we do. Now with it governing that, then it sets this whole thing in motion. So that's the first thing I want you to see is love is the driving force behind all spiritual law. We love God. We know he loves us. He can be trusted and he is faithful. He will never not do what he said to us. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. God loves us. God so loved the world that he gave. Love is the force behind all giving. Now, if love is the force behind all giving, then why did he give us the ability to operate in the law of seed time and harvest? Every gift from God, everyone, Every single gift from God is a love gift. Yeah. Amen. That's right. You hear what I'm saying? When he heals you, it's a mercy gift. He doesn't heal you because you deserve it. None of us deserve it. We deserve to die. We don't deserve to be forgiven. But we give for something. It's forgiveness. See, forgiveness operates in the giving cycle. That's why you can take something. I've learned over the years, even when somebody does something crazy and hurts me and kicks up their heels against me and leaves or whatever else, I've learned to sow them. To not retain, just, Lord, I sow them. I don't retain upon them yeah. that deception. I don't retain yeah. upon them yeah. that bad decision. I, I forgive them. Amen. I give them for. Amen. I sow them. Right. If you can learn to sow mistakes and failures, turn it over, turn it into a seed. you'll get a harvest of restoration of what should have been. But not if you hold on to it. If you hold on to it, it never gets involved in the law of sowing and reaping. That's like keeping your seed on the shelf. Am I teaching anybody anything here? See, what I'm trying to communicate to you is this isn't just about money. I'm trying to help you understand this activates the provision of the entirety of the kingdom. And that's why Satan wants to deceive us off of this law. Because we have no idea what we were really given when he gave us seed. He gave us the kingdom. Yeah, that's right. 
He gave us everything in the kingdom. He gave us all of himself. He is the mediator, the administrator of seed to the sower. He actually gives you seed for the purpose of you and me being able to sow it because he's trying to get a harvest to us. He knows we can't get it without seed, so he initiates the whole process. He wants us to have the harvest so bad, he actually gives us the seed that will produce it so that we can sow it, so that we can have what he always wanted us to have that we couldn't get without him giving us the seed. He loves you so much. He's for you. So the seed he gave you is a love gift. There's nobody in here that's a self-made man. Which one of you put sight in your own eyes? Which one of you put hearing in your own ears? Which one of you can claim the fact that your muscles work and you can walk and you have feeling in your toes came because you produced it? You developed it in a laboratory. You made it. What do you have to give that God didn't give you first? This is huge. It means that everything in the kingdom, everything in our life, operates in this law of seed time and harvest. It's the law of man's dominion from the beginning. So when we say things, a man's harvest in life depends entirely upon what he sows. I showed something to my son on the airplane coming here, and it's something that a lot of people um, have never really understood but it just seems in my spirit that it fits right here. And so I'm just going to obey God, and I'm going to show it to you, okay? It's really important. Turn with me to Psalm 109. And what we're going to do is we're going to cross-reference Psalm 109 with Galatians 6. Now, you got your finger in Psalm 109? Everybody good? Okay, you found it? I want you to see it in your Bible. Now, you found Galatians 6? All right, now let's go to Galatians 6 and keep a finger in Psalm 109. We're going to go back and forth. Are you ready? Here's what it says in Galatians 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So we have three principal parties in this verse. We have the deceiver. We have God who is not the deceiver. God who will not be mocked, meaning that the laws of the Spirit will always work, and no matter what you do, it's going to turn out like God said. Yeah. So no matter what a man does, it's still going to turn out like God said. Yeah. So don't be deceived. If you think you can do something, and it turned out different than the way God said it was going to turn out if you do that thing. Then you're mocking God, meaning you're speaking words against his words, meaning that you're reproving God and saying, I have a better way. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So don't be misled. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that and that alone is what he's going to reap. Now let's go to Psalm 109. 
Now, instead of the King James, I'm going to use the Amplified Classic and cut to the chase here. Are you ready? It said, yes, in verse 17, Psalm 109, he loved cursing, and it came back upon him. He delighted not in blessing, and it was far from him. What is this? This is sowing and reaping. Do you see this? Words are seeds. It is why you get what you say. See, most people think, well, I just don't understand this. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and words and that. Yeah, you know, yes, and you can't say it. That's like, that's like Christian sciences. Don't make sense. And, well, of course not, because the spiritual things don't make sense to the carnal man because they know nothing about spiritual law. Spiritual law says every seed, every seed, every seed does what? Reproduces after every seed. So? Oranges become lemons. Oh. Peas become carrots. So you mean to tell me every seed, every seed reproduces after its own kind. Your words are seeds. Why do you think you're going to get something different from what you're saying? That's ignorance. If peas, if you plant peas, you get peas. If you plant oranges, you get oranges. If you plant carrots, you get carrots. Then we say, oh, man, I sure do hurt. I thought God healed me, but I guess I didn't receive it. Why do you think you're going to get healed when you're planting seeds that you're sick? See, that's what he's saying. You're deceived. When we don't think we are going to reap what we're planting, we're deceived. So the deceived people aren't the people that guard their words and plant them on purpose. The deceived people say, ah, I ain't nothing to do that saying stuff. See, they're deceived. God said the power of death and life is in your tongue. You're saying it don't matter what I say. One of the two of you is lying, and I know who it is. It's you. You're deceived and misled because you're mocking God, saying it don't matter what I say. And God says, not only will you, you say in sticks and stones may make my bones, but words will never hurt me. And God saying, no, idiot, your words are going to kill you if you don't change what you're saying. Because you're planting death and not life. You're going to get what you're planting. You're going to get what you're planting. You're going to get what you're saying. Why? Not because it's this mystical say it enough and it'll make God do it. You, you, it's your authority. When you say it, you are releasing your authority to plant seeds to have what you're saying. You're doing that. It doesn't have anything to do with God. I had a man a few years ago in my congregation should not have gone to heaven. I said, Lord, because, you know, people look at you and they say, I want answers. I mean, the covenant says this, but long life I'll satisfy him. As far as we know, he's a believer, and he's believing God. And there's no apparent reason why, you know, that he should have gone to heaven. I was laying back in the bed. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And I said, Lord, why? And I called his name. Because I'm his pastor, after all. 
And he was a good man and a strong man and a leader and was a helper. And we could have used him a few more years in the earth. I said, Lord, why is so-and-so, and I called his name, why is he in heaven? And the Lord said to me, I mean, I wanted to, I knew I was in my bedroom laying back against the headboard, walls behind me. I knew there wasn't a man standing there, Miss Dean. I knew, but yet he was there. He said, it's surreal. I want to turn around and say, who said that? But I knew who said it because I heard it. He said, it was a matter of the tongue. That's all he said. And then we, whew, it went right through me. In other words, he talked himself into the grave. He was saying stuff. Oh, he was doing all the good stuff in church. But the Lord said, I, I couldn't. He said, I, it's not my perfect will for his life. And he's in heaven with me and everything's fine. And death is an enemy and he's okay. And I mean, you know, it's not a bad thing when anybody goes to heaven. But in his case, that's why he was in heaven early. And there's no amount of preaching or anything I could have done as a pastor to change it. Now, at his funeral, I didn't say that. <laughs> and I don't give his name today unless somebody hears it on tape because I'm just trying to protect the family and all that. I'm not trying to have an opinion or judgment. I'm just telling you what the Lord said to me about this situation. I said, why is he in heaven? The Lord said, it's a matter of the tongue. That's all he said. I remember when years ago, as a young man, man, I was preaching night after night, and man, I was praying for hours during the day, and preaching and praying for the sick, and I'd come out ringing wet, and they'd drag me to the hotel room, and people say, how you doing, Brother Tracy? And in those days, I wasn't, I wasn't flying a lot, and man, I was driving eight hours to a meeting, and I'd finish one place, and I'd run in there and say, keep singing until I get there, and, and I still remember this happened, 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 happened. Great miracles, great meetings, God honored it, because he's always going to honor his word. But I remember one time I started saying, people said, Brother Tracy, how you doing? I said, oh, glory to God. And I was really talking about how busy I was for the kingdom. I really wasn't consciously releasing any faith in it. And so I'd say, out of my mouth, I'd say, oh, glory to God, I'm just preaching my heart out. <laughs> now, now that we're on this subject, you caught it. But don't sit there and that's sanctified like, uh-huh. Because <laughs> you wouldn't have caught it any faster than me because you're saying stuff just like that. Because it's not really what I meant. Right? But one day the Lord spoke to me and I began to have some chest pains. And it went on for a while. I was rebuking it and standing against it and rebuking it and standing against it and trying to, you know, <laughs> believe in God. And why am I too young to have chest pain? What's going on? And, you know, there's other issues. And, and uh, uh, that, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe... Maybe I'm just eating late at night. My metabolism isn't what it used to be, and I picked up about 10 pounds. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just not now. You know how you go. You know? And I heard the Lord say, no, it's your tongue. No. You know, he just let me know, it's your tongue. He said, and if you don't stop saying that, you're going to die early from a heart attack. And everybody's going to wonder why the faith man, the miracle man, died young. It's because, well, I didn't mean it. I'm going to stand before Jesus, dead. I didn't mean that. I was just trying to preach real hard. I was preaching my heart out. No, your body's going to do what you're saying because you're going to get what you're planting. He said, stop saying that right now. I'll tell you something you need to stop saying. Stop saying I'm tired. Treat tired like a curse word. Well, how come? Because you 
are not tired. You live in that body. Now, your body may need some rest, but you, right. you're not tired. Amen. That's why you got to get over in faith. Because when you're really in faith, you don't stay late at night and rise up early and eat the bread of sorrows trying to make God move. Because faith knows that it has it already. And if I've already got it, I'm not going to stay up late praying about it. I'm going to go to sleep. If I had it, I'd go to sleep. Well, I have it, so I'm going to sleep. You see what I'm saying? What we do out of fear and worry and stress and spin trying to make God move, we break natural law and break our body down and then wonder why it wants to quit on us. When the truth is, the wrong part of us, we're given rest. We're not exercising our spirit, which needs exercise, and we're wearing our body out, which needs rest. You, sweet lady, you are not tired. You're not. But you need to stop saying you are. Because what it tells me is you think you are a body. And you are not a body. That body is your house. That body is not you. You live inside that body. This body is made out of the ground. Made to house you for a while. And can't quit on you till you get your race done. Why? Because you, the real you, has the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. And if you've got that in you, you can't faint, you can't burn out, and it will quicken your death-doomed body till this thing gets done. So the same word that will bring it will keep you till it comes. So you don't never need to operate in spin and fear and weariness and fretting and wondering, why hadn't it come yet? Because you see, if you believe you've received it, then you're not frustrated about not having it Because you do have it. And every time you get frustrated about not having it, I ought to tell you something. That ought to tell you you're in the sight realm. Because either you have it or you don't. If you have it, you're not frustrated about not having it. If you don't have it, then you hadn't believed you've received it. But if you believe you've received it, you have it. And if you have it, you're not going to get it. Therefore, you're not upset that you don't see it. Because not one of you in here is wringing your hands over figuring out how to get home tonight. Just because you don't see your car, you're sure you've got one. So if everything, don't say you don't believe what you can't see. Because right now, you can't see the vehicle that you know you have that's going to take you home, but you're not sitting in here worried about it. Because you know you have it. Doesn't matter if you see it or not, I got it. Amen. And those things can be just that real in the spirit. When you know you have your harvest, there's joy in your life. There's not weariness. There's not frustration. There's not discouragement. Why? Because God said, I had it. I do have it. God can't lie. And glory be to God. If God be for me, who can be against me? So let us not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap. We shall reap. We shall reap. We shall reap. I will reap. I have this thing. I believe. I receive now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What you've been believing God for is working. This law is working. 
It's unfolding right now. Now look at this, this law of seed time and harvest. Let's finish this. You don't want this to happen to you because I'm showing you the negative side, but if it works on the negative side, how much more? How much more will it activate the grace of God? How much more will it activate the dominion and the power of God? Listen to how it operates on the negative side. Psalm 109, verse 17. Yes, he loved cursing, and it came back upon him. He delighted not in blessing. It was far from him. He clothed himself also with cursing as with his garment. You're going to wear what you're saying. You need to know right now, you will wind up wearing on your life. Visibly, people will see what you're saying one day. Well, your words will become sight. You're going to wear them one day. So let's start planting some different seed. Instead of saying what we don't have, let's say what we do have. Amen? Instead of planting what we don't want, let's start planting what we do want. Glory be to God. Well, this just doesn't work for me. Well, you know, it's probably working for you more proficiently than it is me. Why? How come? Because you're saying you don't have it, and it's working every time. (laughs) (laughs) See, you are getting what you say. You don't have to work this consciously for it to happen. Now look at what it says in Psalm 109 again. Verse 18, he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment. Look at this. It seeped into his inward life. Ooh. It seeped into his inward life like water and like oil into his bones. Oil is always symbolic of the supernatural spirit realm empowering you to have something. So oil can can be that anointing. So if curse words can seep into your life like water, if curse words can be like an anointing to be cursed going into your bones, then what could blessing words be? Notice if you're operating fully in the curse, blessing is far from you. Well, what's going to happen if you're operating fully in the blessing? Curse is far from you. The blessing is seeping into your inward life like water. The anointing to be blessed is like oil. The oil of the anointing of the mighty resurrection power to bring miracles is going down into the marrow of your bones. Everything you put your hands to is blessed. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the field. You're the head and you're not the tail. You're the first and you're not the last. You're above and you're not believed. You're blessed coming in. You're blessed going out. Blessed is your basket. Blessed is your store. Blessed are your flocks. Blessed is everything you touch. And the Lord is going to open heaven over you to give rain to your land in the right season. I'm telling you right now, it's going to seep into your life. I said it's going to seep into your life. You're going to have what you've sown. You will harvest what you've sown. Now, no wonder he's saying then, don't make any mistake about it, God's not mocked. You can't live a life of cursing and not be cursed. That's deception. Deception is to think you can curse, 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 and then beg God to bless you, and it work. Won't work. Can't work. It's a violation of all spiritual law. It's going to turn out like God said. God gave us this law, these seeds. 
as a love gift. Most people don't want to be responsible. But the fact that God gave you dominion over your own victory is the greatest love gift God could have given any human. Now you're not waiting on God to heal you. By his stripes, you were healed. He took your place by the law of seed time and harvest. He became the seed and he died so you and I can live. He became sick so we could harvest our healing. And he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. Glory be to God. God wanted a harvest for the whole world. So he planted a seed that would produce no more curse for anybody, anywhere that would ever believe it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, here's what I'm going to read to you, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor. Out of Galatians 6, might as well read these three verses, but I want to make some statements about them to cut you loose. And Brother John, you can take it and run with it. But it says, be not deceived. Oh. Oh. You're not deceived. Oh, 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 glory be to God. Now, what I want you to see about this, what's so strong is we're at a different place. I don't know what happened when I said that. I don't know how many times I have said that in three sessions, but when I said it right then, I said it different. You heard it different. It happened different. So something happened. The spirit of deception's back was broken. Can you sense it? Yeah, that's broken. So he says, be not deceived. Mm. God is not mocked. Oh, this is a church that loves God. It sure doesn't mock God. But whatsoever a mankind sows, that, that alone they know they shall reap. It's why they sow it. Glory be to God. Amen. For if a man sows to his flesh, Oh, there's so much. There's a whole session just talking about that. What does that mean? His flesh. And it simply means he talks about being led by the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. He's literally not talking about sowing into your flesh. That does come. But he's really talking about when you yield to the flesh and allow the flesh to lead you. When you walk in a fleshly way, thinking you're going to receive a spiritual result, you're deceived. So you cannot operate fleshly law and get a miracle out of the natural realm. So we're going to stay in the spirit with this, right? So you see there's a much to it, and so I'm going to make these comments, and when I say them, the anointing on them is just going to rip through your spirit. It's going to rip through your mind and heart. It's going to settle like wearing a coat. Because if, if a man that curses can wear the cursing coat, then a man that blesses can wear the blessing coat. And it's seeping down in your bones. So one more time, be not deceived. Whoa, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Glory be to God. He that sows to his flesh, which I don't do, 
will reap a corruptible harvest. But he that sows unto the Spirit, which is what I do, will reap from the Spirit the very life that raised Jesus from the dead. I have received that life. I have received that strength. I have received that victory. I have received that dominion right here, right now, in this meeting. I'm strong. I'm not weak. So let us, now turn around and look at your neighbor. You're talking to you, but you're talking to them. And just point and say, let us, let not one of us be weary in well-doing. Because we shall all harvest. We shall all reap if we faint not. Woo, glory to God, tonight's my harvest night. <laughs> so here's the comments I want to make to you. Number one, when he says, be not deceived, the inference of that is no man has to ever be deceived. You don't have to allow yourself to be deceived. You have the ability not to be deceived. So right now, I say, because you have that ability, none of you will be deceived. The deceiver will have no place in this body. Glory be to God. Number two, God's not the one deceiving you. He's not the one delaying your harvest. Number three, harvest, the devil can't keep it from you. God won't keep it from you. So the harvest is conditional upon what a man does. Number four, weariness and fainting is a sign of deception. Be not deceived. Don't grow weary. Evidently, weariness is what the enemy uses to keep you from harvesting. The moment you start feeling weary, you know, uh-oh, something's happening. Deception's trying to get in. Deception and weariness are synonymous. Deception is demon-induced. So is weariness. Rebuke the devil. You're strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Give him no place. Amen? Number five, the purpose of deception is to steal the harvest, but we know we shall reap. Amen? Amen. Number six, God and the law of sowing and reaping are synonymous. That means the law of sowing and reaping activates the fullness of the dominion of God in my life to put me over. God gave me the law to accomplish his plan. That means the law has the dominion to produce his plan, which means God's plan and sowing and reaping are synonymous. Oh, glory to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. The harvest is guaranteed. So I want to leave two thoughts with you. First thought, in due season we shall reap. The word season is the Greek word for kairos. Chronos means like chronological. We're not talking about physical time. Kairos, a season, a moment, a divine 
window of time where God has foreordained miraculous involvement in human affairs. This is an open heaven. This is our season of harvest. That Kairos moment has been available to every person since Jesus rose from the dead. It's not just a meeting. Now, this meeting is a Kairos moment because the anointing's here. You're here. I'm here. And he told us to do this. So this is a season you can reap. But know this. You didn't have to wait to get to this meeting to reap. Jesus has already paved the way for you to reap. Jesus wants you to reap. And heaven is always available to every person in the sound of my voice. That's the revelation I want you to get. So that when you turn and go from the meeting, you leave with something and you have it. What do you have? Life everlasting. You not only get it, but you keep it. Amen? So you're leaving here with something. And it won't leave you. Glory be to God. I say that for this reason. Due season. But the word due, that's different. That verse is idio in the Greek. and literally means, and I may not be pronouncing it correctly, but as far as I know, Strong's and I agree on it. <laughs> Greek people may not agree, but you know, non-Greek people agree on this. <laughs> but the word do here, based upon the study of ancient Greek and the Strong's, it simply means this. It means, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. It means pertaining to self, one's own, like private or separate. So why is this important? Why is this one thought important? Because due season isn't something God says. When you see inside yourself, I'm due this harvest. This is my harvest. This belongs to me. This is my own. It's my season to reap. The day you decided to be born again became your due season to be born again. But being born again was available before you received it and after you received it. Which means if you had waited six months, your due season would have been six months later. Or if you had decided a week earlier, your due season would have been a week earlier. Because the moment you took it as your own, your kairos, in other words, what was available, became yours personally. So the whole reason that Satan wants you to get weary is so you won't, in strength of faith, reach up and grab what's yours and pull it into your life in this due season. You'll still be waiting on God, waiting on God to do something about it, saying it's not the right time, it's not the right moment, I'm not strong enough, I'm unworthy. But when you know you're the righteousness of God in Christ, when you've settled on the inside that it belongs to you, when you believe you're do it by the blood of the Lamb and that it's part of your rights and privileges, it becomes something that is due you and it becomes your due season. Tonight is your due season. Everybody up here, I can tell, you took it as your own. You were due the strength of the Lord. You were due a harvest of health. You were due a breakthrough. And you took it. Don't let go of it. He says you're going to see it and have it if you won't faint. And faint means to let go. So you're going to let go? No. No. Which one of your body parts, if you had to choose one to be sick, would you let be sick? No chance. No. 
Do you belong to Jesus? I do. Are you one of his members? Absolutely. You don't suppose he wants any of his body parts sick either, do you? No. So you're not going to let go of it, are you? No. It's your deuces. You got it? Final thing before I, before I turn it over to Pastor that the Lord spoke to me about this gathering that was so huge. Some of you remember the story in 1 Samuel 30 where everything was taken from David and his men. And he, and he wept until there was no more strength in him to weep. He fainted. He went and inquired to the Lord and he encouraged himself in the Lord. And he said, shall I pursue? And the Lord said, pursue, for you will overtake them. Mm. <laughs> Arise and pursue them, for you will overtake them. And without fail, you will recover it all. Now, here's what the Lord told me to tell you. There was 200 of those guys that got to a crossing place and were too faint to continue. They stayed by the brook Besor because they were too exhausted. David and 400 others went on, found the Amalekites, got the women, got the children, got the stuff. They recovered everything. When they came back to those 200 that were too faint, some of the evil guys said, they didn't go on to the battle with us. They don't get stuff. Give them their wife and kids, but they ain't getting any of this stuff. And David said, you're a men of Belial. You're, you're demon-driven. He said, they that tarry by the stuff, the word tarry means they stayed there. They that stayed by the stuff. Now, most of you know what it says. They will what? Part alike. They're our partners. Now, this is very important information because we think about it as partnership. There's goers, and then there's senders, and they're supposed to stay at home, and there's folks that go. But the Lord said, no, yes, that's true, but for this body, amongst this situation, this deals with the harvest, and they were faint. What I want you to see is they might have been faint, but they got their harvest anyway. That's right. That's what I want you to see. How come? Because there's a difference in going to the end of yourself, but staying on the course. The key word is they stayed. They were too faint to continue on, but they weren't misled. They didn't cut and run. They stayed put. They had staying power. They might have been too weak to jump up today and go on to the battle, but it didn't mean they wouldn't harvest just because they got a little bit weary. It meant they were connected with an overall covenant that they wouldn't leave the stuff. I'm telling you, not every one of you is going to feel like that you can keep the pace of the man of God. <laughs> Not every one of you feels like I can get on the van and, and go all the time to reservations and preach crusades or go to the Philippines and believe in the money. Sometimes it stretches me too much. And, and I just, you know, we need some stuff here. Why are we sending all this money elsewhere? And See, that is the spirit of deception and operation to get you to faint because they're able to go do something that you don't see yourself having the strength to do. The key to your harvest is not the doing everything they're doing. The key to your harvest is don't be misled. 
Don't be deceived. You're set here. Stay. That's right. Amen. Plant your feet. Yes. Stay put. Don't let the devil take you out of your place. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to come back with the stuff. And God's going to put it on your account. Because you stayed with the stuff. Stay the course. The day will come when that same impartation will come on you. Because all 600 of these men, the Bible describes them as in debt, distressed, and discontented. But the mantle and the anointing on David, because they refused to leave and they stayed the course, came off of David on those men. And they became the captains and the generals of his army that took Israel from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. 120 conflicts with the Philistines, taking the head off Goliath and all his brothers. And the seed of Israel and the light of Israel and the seed of Abraham became the son of David. And we're here today because he operated in that anointing. I'm telling you, if you'll just stay the course with the anointing of that canopy that the Lord said this morning, he has baptized this church with the miracle mantle of the ministry of Jesus. You have strength. You may not be called to go over the Pacific, but I'm telling you, if you go across the street, the same miracles will happen. That's right. That's right. So walk in this strength. Walk in this power. And watch God help you harvest your dreams in Jesus' name. Amen. You receive that tonight? Glory to God.